Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 28th of January, 2024, 9.30 service. Katie Lofman speaking in the series, Outsiders Come to God, the Widow of Zarephath. There was a drought throughout the land. It extended over all of Israel and over the neighbouring kingdom of Sidon. Nothing grew and everyone was starving. Not climate change, but a judgment. Ahab, the king of Israel, was a bad man. He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of the kings who came before him. His wife was Jezebel, an outsider, the daughter of the king of Sidon. She was a tyrant in her own right and a bad influence on Ahab. Soon he was worshipping Baal, the god of storms and weather, and Ashtoreth, Sidon's fertility goddess. And not just in private, he even set up altars and Asherah poles everywhere for the Israelites to worship them too. So the prophet Elijah called down a drought for three and a half years. Doing that, he proved that it's his God, our God, who controls the weather, not the storm god Baal. The famine was terrible. But God protected Elijah. He lived by a river in the Kerith ravine and God got ravens to bring him food twice a day. Eventually that stream in Kerith dried up too and Elijah must have been desperate but God had a way to look after him. But it sounded a bit risky. He sends Elijah to Zarephath a town deep in Sidon country, a town full of outsiders, whose princess Jezebel is the one causing so much suffering, corrupting Israel's king and turning God's people against their God. But Elijah obediently goes, and there he meets an extraordinary woman. She's on the verge of starvation. She's collecting sticks to make a fire to cook her last little bit of flour for one last meal for herself and her son. And yet, this foreign woman, who has nothing, a single mum, suffering greatly from the consequences of her people's sin, this is the person through whom God provides for Elijah. Elijah asks her to make him some bread first. And in return, he promises that she will always have enough flour and oil until the drought ends. I don't know what she thought of Elijah, but, or his promise, but he must have been a bit of a sight, because he'd been living with ravens in a gorge for months, if not years, so not exactly buff and well-groomed. And he was an outsider himself, a foreigner in this foreign town. I wonder what was in her heart when she heard that promise of unending oil and flour. Did she think he was a nutter? Or did she recognise that he was a holy prophet? Either way, she sacrificed all that she had to give him a meal. The food wasn't very much, but the compassion was great. And it must have taken great courage too, despite the promise that he made. She acted out of faith. She decided to believe Elijah and take that costly step of obedience. She stepped out in faith before she knew if it would really work. 
I think it's the same with us sometimes. Sometimes we might feel huge compassion for someone and we feel that we could help, but it would be a big effort. It would mean sacrificing some time, maybe some money, maybe something that we really don't want to give up. And yet there's this person in need and we know that we have the means to help them. Perhaps there's a moment of dilemma. We know the right thing, but do we have the guts to do it? My view is that when we decide to act on our compassion, God always honours that. We may miss out on something that we wanted, but we gain a richness as well as a warm glow of happiness for that person. On the other hand, if we talk ourselves out of it and override our compassion with sensible arguments about how we haven't got time or we need to save money and we turn away from that person in their need, we feel impoverished somehow. Instead of a warm glow, we feel a kind of slightly guilty unease. The next time that we might find ourselves in that situation, we find that our conscience and our compassion has become a little weaker. Now it's easier to turn away from anything too costly. But that didn't happen in Zarephath. The woman made a step of faith. God was true to Elijah's promise and every day there was just enough flour and just enough oil for, her, for the woman, her son and Elijah. Until one day tragedy struck. The son died. The woman and Elijah are both devastated. The woman knows that as a widow, without a son to look after her, she's doomed. She sees it as a terrible judgment for her own sin. The son has died for the sin of the mother and she blames Elijah. Elijah blames God. He says in verse 20, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with? And he cries out to God to bring the boy back to life. And he does. The boy is resurrected. Any doubt that his mum might have had about her lodger are gone. Now I know you are a man of God, she says, and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. How different from God's own people, the Israelites, in the kingdom next door, turning away from God and worshipping Baal and Asherah. Her sacrifice was rewarded with resurrection and her faith was deep and genuine. There's something about this woman that reminds me of another widow in the New Testament. Jesus was in the temple watching the worshippers making their donations in the collection box. Some were giving more than others, but then a little old lady comes and puts in just two mites, hardly anything. Jesus says that it may not be much, but she was sacrificing all that she had for God's work, more than any of the others who only gave money that was spare. She was an outsider by way of her gender, her age, her singleness and her poverty, but she was willing to give everything for God's work. And this happened very soon before Jesus himself sacrificed all that he had and all that he was for the sake of God's work, redeeming the world. He too was an outsider, separated from his heavenly home, 
incarnated into a human being, living within all the limitations that that means. He came to help us and to save us, but his own people, the Jews, rejected him. They refused to recognise his ministry or accept his love. Jesus came firstly for the Jews, but there is the constant warning that if they don't take up the offer of a place in his kingdom, there are plenty of outsiders who will. And that's what got people angry. Even his own neighbours in Nazareth tried to kill him when he said that. And they'd known him since he was a child. Ultimately, Jesus even felt God himself turning away from him when he accepted all the evil of the world on his shoulders. Jesus became the ultimate outsider, both from earth and from heaven, giving all that he had and all that he was so that we could become insiders with God and be welcomed into his heavenly kingdom, his heavenly family. So we have to take care not to be like those Nazareth Jews. They went to synagogue, they were in the right family, but that meant nothing if they didn't accept Jesus. Coming to church helps us to be in touch with God as we sing to him and pray to him. But unless we let that take root in our whole lives, it means nothing. It's not coming to church that makes us insiders with God. We are outsiders ourselves until we accept Jesus and his sacrifice and change our lives accordingly and start giving sacrificially like that widow in Zarephath. When we take a step of faith like her and we say, I want to do what God wants me to do, then we only need just enough faith for one day at a time. We're not often asked to put everything we have on the line like she did or like the little old lady in the temple, but we will face small dilemmas that call for small sacrifices. And as we rise to those challenges, we become stronger and we get closer to God. And that's exactly what those Nazareth Jews were not willing to do. They didn't want to share God with any Gentiles. They didn't even want any needy people or poor people or disabled people cluttering up their complacent little lives. So when Jesus pointed out that God blessed and saved the widow of Zarephath over the Jews of the time, they tried to kill him. That's not fair. That's not the right people. That's not who you're supposed to be saving. Can you imagine it? These were his neighbours, his parents' friends. They should have been the first to support him, even if they couldn't quite recognise him. But to them, he was always going to be Joseph's son, not God's son. Every week, we come to church and we read our Bible and we hear things about Israel and then we go home and we listen to the news or we read our media feeds and we hear things about Israel. What can we apply to Israel today from what we read about the Israel of Bible times? Well, looking at what we've read today, it's all about rejection. Outsiders come to God because the Jews rejected Jesus and the Jews rejected God. <clears throat> that was true in Elijah's day and it was true in Jesus' day. The chaos that Israel is in today may well be the consequence of that, the fulfilment of prophecy. If they reject God, 
How can God save them? They're still his people, but they've ignored his son. Elijah judged Israel for being too too influenced by foreign gods and religions. Has Israel today allowed themselves to get bogged down in the materialism and atheism of surrounding cultures? God sent them prophets like Elijah to steer them back. Now he sends them missionaries like CMJ, Christian Mission Among the Jews, and Christian Friends of Israel. Those organisations are helping in a variety of ways, moved by the knowledge that the Jews were chosen first by God. And we can support those charities and pray for their work of aid and reconciliation. And when we do that, and when we give ourselves away, like the two widowed outsiders did, then we're helping God to redeem the world. And God will use us, like he used Elijah, to bring food in the midst of famine, bread in the wilderness, and springs of water in the desert.